0: Hello and welcome to the event lab podcast your window into the events conversation brought to you by Hirespace Just before we get into today's show event lab 2019 is on the 14th and 15th of october that's monday and tuesday next week If you still haven't registered and you'd like to come don't worry still time stop the podcast right now Head to the link in the show notes below and save yourself from missing out Right, now, in this episode, Andrew Davis, keynote speaker in digital marketing and social media and content marketing trainer, is on the show to talk to us about his career and how events professionals can stay ahead with social media and content.
1: We talk about disruptive technology, like Airbnb disrupted the hotel industry, but MySpace kind of disrupted communication.
0: We have two venue experts in the studio to make sure you're aware of all the newest UK venues. They've done it again. It looks like an amazing venue, great decor, very sort of modern and sleek. What is the Scottish Ag situation? But first, the purchase of Thomas Cook by Hayes, the QE2 Centre has recorded its highest ever net economic contribution to the UK, and could Saudi Arabia be the next big destination for events? All that and more as Martin Fullard, Phoebe Cherry, and Ed Poland sit
2: down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Good evening, everybody.
3: Good evening, Ed.
2: Good evening, Phoebe. We have a pod debut. We have Phoebe Cherry, formerly MD of Smart Live, now
3: freelance events consultant. And thanks very much for having me on your podcast.
2: More than welcome. It's brilliant to have you here. Tell us a bit about Phoebe Cherry Consulting.
3: As you just mentioned, I was previously MD of Smart Live, which was a creative events agency. Left there for various reasons and set up uh, as an independent consultant so I can work with lots of different clients, helping them become more creative, more profitable get better at what they do and to also have a bit of more flexibility uh, in my world i've been doing it for all of about five minutes but so far so good
2: mindful ad. editor of conference news is back yes how you doing martin
4: i'm not too bad the uh, the quiet lull of august is now a distant memory the full freight train of the events industry is uh, coming at me at speed yeah we've been very busy good to hear you had a great feature on event lab 2019 in conference news i saw yes it was it was a fantastic preview uh and i am thoroughly looking forward to it i'm involved in two sessions myself i'm on a panel with ken kelling and paul harvey of MIT and amanda thurlow who is a content creator and one of the more active uh, event profs on twitter and we're going to be kind of discussing the role of trade press really in the events industry so it's a bit of an existential crisis for us we're going to have to take a long hard look in the mirror and think to ourselves what's the point of us what do we owe the industry and then of course i think on the second day we're doing a live podcast on stage and do you know these guys well already Uh, paul yeah paul and i normally find ourselves at events together and uh, amanda we normally see him frequently
2: Great. Well, listeners, I'm sure you will have already be aware that Event Lab is next week, but if you haven't registered yet, get your tickets. And Phoebe, you're doing a workshop.
3: Absolutely. So I am uh, breaking my uh, Event Lab virginity in terms of the podcast and uh, the workshop. So really looking forward to that. I'm doing a workshop on how to create format-breaking events. Uh, So with my agency background, I've been very used to sort of coming up with concepts for various events that are bold different creative um and yeah looking sh- forward to sharing some of my tips um to your audience on that which is on tuesday morning
2: amazing can't wait guys should talk about thomas cook and the reason i say that is because i think it was literally this morning that uh, is it hayes have agreed to hayes buy travel, the whole exactly hayes travel have bought the whole of thomas cook including all of the bricks and mortar shops that surprised me a little bit
3: surprised me as well you know part of the reason for the Thomas Cook decline obviously is that the uh, travel industry is becoming more and more online I-, I would have thought that the Thomas Cook shops themselves might have actually gone to some sort of other high street uh, retail purpose but obviously they're staying within travel and Hayes Travel have, have bought all of their stores and um, I think it's a really lovely emotional story and that the business is a husband and wife owned business they're also encouraging lots of Thomas Cook ex-employees to come back and work for them I, I also think it's quite a you know potentially risky move yeah I did also read that um the the Hayes travel owners do a garden party in their own garden for all of their employees um so they might now have to get a bit of a bigger garden to to do that affair every summer
4: well absolutely i mean according to uh, the bbc they currently employ 1900 people and it looks like two and a half thousand uh em- former employees of thomas cook could find themselves working under the hayes umbrella very shortly bit of context according to the bbc again last year hayes posted uh figures of 379 million pounds which included 10 million pounds of profit now they are a very different business to thomas cook in the sense that they don't run an airline as far as i know so i guess that will be a big feather in their cap but yeah as phoebe says i mean again a bit of an unknown there we're not really sure what the what the agenda is because the the industry still has gone online the bricks and mortar what are they going to do with them they are going to be competing with themselves in some towns across the uk you'll have two shops so i guess they'll probably have to get rid of some of them well watch this space i guess
2: really strange one i mean a great thing i guess that business has been saved to a degree and all these jobs have been saved i don't know what they've got that can bring all of that kind of bricks and mortar on board and and still make it you know make it work and profitable in a way that thomas cook which was you know held as a incredibly well-run business for so long couldn't do i guess we'll see good luck to them Saw this number Uh, This is the QE2 Centre in London, and it says it's recorded its highest ever net economic contribution to the UK of 153 million pounds, which just struck me as a staggering number. In fact, I saw this in, what do you know, in conference news. Fancy that. Fancy that. Uh,
0: 153
2: million,
4: it contributes. This is testament to the strength of the industry. We're seeing these sorts of high figures, you know, being published elsewhere around the uk as well i mean in blackpool i think what was the number one point uh, 1.58 billion uh, is what they estimate the tourism industry including business events to be to that region blackpool's had a huge regeneration over the last few years it's the same uh, in a lot of other northern destinations but that's a 30 million pound new venue uh, opening up in newcastle which is going to have more than three thousand square meters of exhibition and conference space that's huge a huge investment the new one in aberdeen's just opened icc wales which is 90 million pounds has just opened in newport this is huge and it's no coincidence that we're seeing a lot of investments from the us come into the uk uh, particularly from hedge fund managements and private equity investors they exist to spot winners so the uk events industry has a lot to be proud of it has generated interest where the american finance industry is now making a move on it so we've done something right ever booked the QET?
3: I have. I've actually booked it uh, pre their their big refurb. I think they spent about £16 million on it over the last uh, few years. But uh, my last experience was before that i think they have about 400 events or so in there every year and a large amount of those are incoming from international and as martin said obviously testament to the industry that we've got here um, in the uk and the the great levels of innovation and creativity that we as the event professionals here deliver
2: do we need more of these big super-sized venues i mean in london we've we've got
4: qe2 there's obviously there's excel i wouldn't put qe2 in the same bracket as excel i think if you're looking at exhibitions you're limited for choice for large-scale exhibitions you have got olympia Excel obviously the slightly larger one but then of course you have got uh, slightly smaller venues like the BDC which is where event labs happening for conferences you've got a much broader broader kind of choice exhibitions do we need more venues <sighs> i think we've got a fairly decent spread around the uk at the moment i think maybe one more big one in london somewhere would be nice
2: i saw another interesting figure guess who can guess how much money chinese tourists have spent so far in 2019 my phone's on flight mode. I can't check. <laughs>
3: Something like one hundred and fifty billion. Eh? One hundred
2: twenty-seven point five billion.
3: Oh, not far off. Already,
2: Do, are the UK getting is the UK getting enough
4: this, this well, spend? Well, we are certainly getting a lot of Chinese leisure tourists. I mean, there's a random village somewhere in Oxfordshire that takes coach loads of chinese tourists to for some inexplicable reason that no one fully understands but you know the chinese market has always been up and coming and now it has arrived are we seeing it in business events coming into the uk we're starting to see i think a trickle inevitably one day that will increase but the leisure tourist side is is phenomenal are we ready that's a different question. I mean, it's going to come a point where you're going to need Chinese-speaking staff on your on your teams. You know, we've got to be None prepared of that for None of that higher space yet. <laughs> Nor at Conference News, We don't have a Chinese franchise. But again, you know, things like having your website or your marketing material translated into Mandarin, something like that, these are all things that have got to be considered for the future.
2: Well, fair play to the QE2 because that was a figure I found pretty staggering, to be honest. 153 million. Pretty amazing. Um, does anyone see thing about saudi arabia so saudi arabia has opened its uh opened up to tourists properly for the first time um and they've said that in the first 10 days it has welcomed 24,000 tourists is saudi arabia next as a big business events destination martin didn't you you lived lived
4: i lived i lived in the neighboring united arab emirates for nine years and uh if anyone's ever bothered to check out my LinkedIn profile, you'll see I worked at one of the major national daily broadsheet You're a LinkedIn newspapers. influencer, aren't you? I'm sure they have. Am I an influencer now? I've had are. a couple they of are. my posts trending. I feel very <laughs> special. But yes, I used to work at a big national daily broadsheet newspaper out there. And Saudi Arabia has certainly made very positive strides in the last decade to really open itself up to the international market. But it's still very protectionist in many ways. There has what do been you mean? It announced the other day, that authorities announced on Sunday, they would allow unmarried foreign couples to rent hotel rooms together. Well, tickle me pink we are getting there but the, th- the problem is sometimes the ambitions of the country uh, move at such a rate that the laws can't keep up and I will use the UAE different country as an example the alcohol laws used to always catch people out technically by the letter of the law you could not be a tourist and drink alcohol in Dubai or Abu Dhabi they would say oh yeah it's okay if you do it in your hotel but even then the letter of the law made that technically illegal in order to drink alcohol you had to have an alcohol license in order to have an alcohol license you needed a residency visa which of course you couldn't get unless you lived there and it's an expensive process so it was flawed how can you open yourself up to tourists promote this heavy brunch alcohol-fueled kind of you know lifestyle and yet if it gets a bit rowdy you get chucked in jail and there were stories like that now there is big investment no no mistaking it but our our female event organizer is going to be allowed to go out there and manage in a senior role and be taken seriously by local authorities? Are they going to be able to walk around the streets to do their job without a chaperone? It's only within the last year women are now allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. These are all positive steps, don't get me wrong. There's still a long way to go. And as the Western world does begin to move towards, say, renewable energy, Saudi Arabia still does rely on oil and gas. The, the less it exports, the less money it has. It's It's going to be an interesting one over the next decade, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it might be a slow burn, in fact, from from what I've been hearing from reports and articles and things that, you know, they've opened their doors to tourism, which is all fantastic, but the infrastructure is a bit further behind in terms of sort of commercial flights between the main cities, uh, in terms of the hotels that have been built um in the surrounding areas uh, and and the plans to obviously build a huge uh, and i think they're sort of mainly positioning themselves in the luxury market i think there will be an appetite for it but probably two or three years down the line is when we'll see the effects in terms of events and obviously in terms of the legislation i agree with you that needs to kind of catch up alcohol is still completely banned in the country i think wearing shorts is banned as well ed how do you feel about that
2: it's short, man. I didn't even realize alcohol was completely banned.
3: Alcohol is completely banned in Saudi Arabia, still. Yeah, exactly. So that's obviously going to be a challenge for events. But there also on the flip side, they've they've got a, a program coming up where they actually have got loads of sporting and cultural events to almost like kick off this sort of period for them.
2: I mean, these will be the place of the future, right? I, I can't have help but find myself rooting for, for for places that are slightly off, you know, off not the necessarily track. the the kind of trodden route of big global events devastated by what happened in rwanda recently there was a terrorist attack i know visit rwanda has invested a huge amount in 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 tourism recently i'm arsenal fan and i know they sponsor arsenal you see it in lots of other places i was only a couple of weeks ago at imex i went to a talk by the Rwandan tourism board and it was so positive amazing speakers they you know the country looked absolutely incredible and, and one of the points they made was that rwanda was officially i think they said it was the second or third safest country to visit or for for business tourism and events and officially second or third, which kind of surprised me at the time, but which I just thought was an amazing, amazing thing given that his presentation I saw and so much investment into it. So for something like this to happen recently is yeah really really sad and I I just guess really kind of rooting for places that are slightly slightly off the off the the trodden path.
3: Yeah well firstly I'm sorry to hear um that you're an Arsenal fan (laughs) (laughs) and also about the the uh, Rwandan tragedy and I think from my point of view I think that these things that happen overseas can be dramatized by our press um, in a way that creates um, a feeling of, of fear. My, my sort of from personal experience I've been to Sri Lanka a couple of times recently. They obviously had um, the tragic Easter bombings there. Having been to the country both before and after the bombings, I think it's incredibly safe and almost felt safer after that situation happened. You know, word here before I went from everyone was, "Don't go." Uh, you know, it's going to be very unsafe and and not the sort of place you want to be right now. But actually, the country is still very equipped to handle tourism a- and events, and infrastructure still stands incredibly strong. Uh, and the people are almost like more open to to supporting and hosting these streams of income. But actually, until you're there, until you're on the ground, until you see how the countries deal with it firsthand can't really tell what it's what it's going to be like and i I do hope um i like you i support these off the beaten track places i think it's it's great to go and explore all these um and to host events in these places who do
4: you support then
3: it depends, who's, it depends who's asking, but I'd probably have to say West Ham. Oh my!
4: God.
3: Well,
2: one thing I wanted to do is a health check for everyone. We've been talking on the Event Lab podcast about how we were coming into the busiest time of the year for all events professionals. September to December, everyone is working round the clock going to events in the evening. It's a tough time. We've got to look after ourselves. Martin, how are you
4: holding up? Well, I'm a journalist. I'm fine. So you do like this all the time. Yeah. What are your tips, top tips for staying healthy, staying on top of the game? Uh, well, I'm not healthy, so I have no tips to offer there. But my advice would be to, at, at night, do not look at your emails. Turn them off. Feeling when fine? What
2: are, what are we a month in? We're a month into the busy period. Phoebe, yeah. feeling fine?
3: I'm feeling great. Uh, as a freelancer, I've got a bit more flexibility. Got a bit more time. Exactly. But my advice is... um keep hydrated at all times keep hydrated and sleep 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 is key
2: sleep so we're all doing all right we're, we're holding all,
3: we're all up good how about you ed how are I you? i feel all right
2: i feel good most by christmas most most years i'm dragging myself over the line but so far so far Listeners so good won't
3: be able to tell but ed looks incredibly healthy and well at the moment oh thanks phoebe He'll be on show next week at Event Lab, which is, of course, the event of the season to look forward to.
2: Event Lab 2019 Business Design Centre next week. If you haven't registered yet, now is the time. You have three or four days, and we will see you there. See you Thank you, there. you, Phoebe. Been lovely to have you.
3: Thanks for having me, Ed.
2: Martin, always a pleasure, and you'll be on stage at Event Lab, both of you. I will. See you then.
3: Bye-bye. Goodbye, thanks.
0: Thank you, Ed. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the News Digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. There's no question too big or too tough, so go on, give them a challenge. Right, now, Andrew Davis, keynote speaker in digital marketing and social media and content marketing trainer, is on the show to talk to us about his career and how events professionals can stay ahead with social media and content. Andrew Davis, it is so nice to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No, I'm, I, no, really, I'm, I'm a little bit intimidated, to be honest, because uh, <laughs> it's not very often we have someone with way more podcasting experience than me. Yeah?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, so, thank you for having me. So, um, it's a, I've been listening to uh, previous episodes and, uh, yeah, when you invited me to come on, I was like, definitely.
0: Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. So good to hear. Some of our listeners will already be familiar with you um, others might be a bit newer to you. I was wondering if you could um, just uh, tell us a little bit more about the career you've had so far, because it's, it's quite an interesting one.
1: Sure. Um well, where do I start? So, um, I graduated university in uh, 2000. Um, and my first job was I used to moderate chat rooms and forums for the television show Pop Idol. I don't know if you remember Pop <laughs> yeah, Idol. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, and so I worked for them. Then I worked for Liverpool Football Club. Uh, a Liverpool supporter? Uh, no, no, no? Uh, Okay, me neither. I went with the money, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I had a pay Sony, PlayStation and the site called Friends Reunited. Back then, the internet was pretty much just... Uh, chat rooms and forums, yeah. um, whether you're working in events or whatever industry, if you wanted to mm-hmm. speak to the public, that's how you've done it, chat rooms yeah. and forums. So I was doing that for about a year, uh, for about a year and a half. And then I uh, was told to get a proper job by my parents because <laughs> <laughs> working on the internet wasn't a proper job then um, and ended up at the BBC. And that's when I started getting involved in podcasting, early BBC. So um, okay. Radio One set up a digital station called Radio One Extra um, and I, well, I produced radio shows at One Extra for about four and a half years done many different shows many different types of of shows because it was digital radio that's when I started getting involved more in the digital radio side of things um but in 2006 I was approached well I was doing a show in San Francisco and I was approached by a small startup that just been bought by Rupert Murdoch for about 600 million um and they said uh, come and join us and be part of the team uh, to launch uh the social network MySpace uh, back in wow, the wow so okay I don't know if you remember MySpace take <laughs> oh yeah from no no wow yeah
0: my, MySpace is is right my generation that <laughs> yeah, was that was right. I think probably my first social sure, media sure.
1: yeah what you're finding is a lot of people's kind of first start or they just missed out on the MySpace days but everyone's heard of it so um, yeah so I was I was uh, 2006 I was part of the thing to launch MySpace um, in the UK. To kind of give you an idea, th- Facebook was only available to students then. So it's very much the early side of social media um, as we know it. Um, so I was there for two and a half years. Um, I joined, there was about 50 million people on the site and... Within a year, we took it to over two hundred million, and it was the biggest website in the world. Wow. Even overtook Google for a bit.
0: I actually remember um, uh, at the one point at, at MySpace's peak, I read that uh, they were the I think the sixth as a community, the sixth largest country in the world, in between Mexico and Japan. Uh, yep, like, yep. Which it is was amazing.
1: Yeah, it was. The figures now that like if I said the figures now, it was some people think that's quite small, but at that time there was yeah. it was like the first to get those type of numbers so um yeah i joined uh saw the rise and then kind of halfway through the time now saw the fall so i kind of know what works and what doesn't what mm. was it like being there like right at, as social media was breaking as like a new idea it was amazing looking back <laughs> yeah. um, at the time you're, you're thinking this is completely new i had a feeling this internet thing was going to work hence why i left the bbc because i had the perfect job then but it was like certain things that were happening, like the content that people were creating and understanding that the work, the traditional media world that we know, TV, radio, print, that was changing. And we talk about disruptive technology, like Airbnb disrupted the hotel industry, or Uber's disrupted mm-hmm. like, uh, like car travel and, and taxis. But MySpace, uh, or then, with, there was us and Bebo, don't even remember Bebo, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of disrupted communication, and then obviously Facebook took it to a level that... we we see now um but yeah so like i said i was there um for about two and a half years and then left 2009 and since then i've been training uh, and i go all over the world training all different types of industries on the internet i'm known for social media because of my Mm -hmm. space but really it's just understanding digital communications and showing them um how to how to get the most out of it
0: well i can imagine there was there was just so much for so many companies to learn like i think i think my Mm. my um Uh, My first internship was Yamaha Music, and they they just got me to set up the Facebook pages for all of them. Because, you know, in a company of sort of like thousands of people with like years and years of experience, literally no one but the intern (laughs) knew how to set up a Facebook page, which is just, I mean, even in the early stages, a lot you had to sort of teach.
1: Yeah, definitely. So so when I first started MySpace, the whole thing was a fad. Social media was a fad then. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're, you're well, even before the fad stage, it was kind of saying, well, what is this? Um, Then it became well, okay, we've heard about a lot of this because when I was in in MySpace, I was working in entertainment. So under me was music, television, sport, mm-hmm. um, film and fashion. So yeah. So because early the Arctic Monkeys was kind of like the first one that broke and then Lily Allen and then yeah. Skins, the television show, it got the interest of everybody and say, all right, what is this MySpace thing we need to kind of know? So you, you're you kind of teaching people then. So even though I've been training officially for 10 years, I was actually training and teaching from 2006, explaining what this social media, social networking thing is. Uh, when do you think sort of the corporate side started to really take notice? When Facebook got to a certain level. Because what happened was, a lot of people said MySpace failed, but I think it was 2007 to, or 2008. MySpace turned over like a billion dollars. And wow. on a site where it's not as sophisticated advertising as it is now, mm-hmm. you're looking at a platform that turned over a lot of money. And what happened or what Facebook done in the early days was show people, okay, what's possible. But people couldn't advertise on Facebook at that time. So all the money went to MySpace because MySpace was still bigger than Facebook. So uh, that's kind of, I would say 2008 was when people started to understand. But when it kind of went to a, another level was Twitter. There was a plane, um, the Hudson plane crash Um, And then people were tweeting from there. And that's when people started to understand the short form context. Yeah. And that's what helped Twitter. And then since then, you've seen Instagram and then you've seen WhatsApp. But you started to see the growth in all of them. Speaking about the growth, and sort of like
0: the developments. Mm. I mean, you're you're, you keynote speaker at so many events, sort of like helping people learn more about how they can stay ahead of the game. Do you think that the events industry is one that's sort of keeping up with developments in social media and digital marketing?
1: I think events is like a lot of the industries where you've got certain event companies that are very good and then you've got certain that are very bad and then you've got a lot in the middle and because I've worked across every industry you start to see it more um You'd think certain things like television or, or even music, they would be ahead of the game, but they're actually, I wouldn't say they were ahead of than some other industries. Like yeah. I work with a lot of the professional service networks, and they're actually pretty good when it comes to content they're creating and the promotion of it as well, and ideally getting to convert people as well. I think in events, I always say to people that social media is simple. It's not easy, but it is actually mm-hmm. simple. And what I mean by that is, You've got kids that are like seven or eight years old that are millionaires doing this. You've got kids that's not even finished like college and they've got like a digital agency that's turning over six, seven figures a month. So we're not creating algorithms for Google or Facebook. We're just really following three simple paths. And that is creating content, promoting that content and getting people to take some form of action. And when it comes to events, it's understanding, okay, what content can we create? before the event and during the event and after the event. How are we going to promote that content during, uh, before, during, after? And then what do we ultimately want people to do? And understanding what we want people to do is when it kind of goes from social media as a hobby or just something that you do personally to Mm -hmm. professionally, because that's when you convert people. And obviously from events, we want them to go to the event. But we also, some people might not ever go to the event, but they might be good contributors. So they can share our content um, to their thousand friends and then they might get three or four of them that were interested to come to the event. So they kind of do the promotional work for you. So it's all kind of connected uh, with each other.
0: A lot of our listeners will be really keen to sort of hear what you've got to say on on sort of like how they can stay ahead of the game.
1: Sure. Like what 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 they can sort of bring on board. Well, the number one thing I'd say is consistency. I've seen people come up with some really amazing concepts but they're not consistent. So they might get a a big rush at first, but then they lose the momentum because it's all about attention. So the key thing is being consistent. Content is subjective because what I think is good content and what you think is good content, two different things, could be two completely different things, but you need to understand content and content is multi-purpose. So when I was at the BBC, I would create radio shows for radio. Now I watch radio on a video platform via my phone, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So understanding, if I'm working in events, saying it's not a case of creating more and more content, it's a case of saying, can I get the most out of this one piece of content? I always say, imagine your event is the album and then you've got to do the promotion for that. Because every single artist I've met and every film that I've I've worked with or I've seen, they have the film, but they have to promote. 10% of their mm-hmm. budget is usually spent on promotion. Yeah. What I find in events is they'll have the event, but they won't really promote that much or all they'll do is they'll do things like they'll post something on facebook or they'll post something on whatever social media mm-hmm. platform well actually you want to be having a checklist of about well as long as this checklist can be <laughs> it could be yes. 17 18 things where it's like okay, one post on twitter uh, or whatever social media platforms two what are we doing on email three is there a trade magazine that we can get this event in four are we working with influencers and how can we get the most out of those influencers five could we be featured on podcasts? How are we mm. going to do the promotion? Or a partner of ours or somebody, could they be featured? Six, have we got a press release? Seven, what is our SEO strategy behind this? Uh, so there's many different things. And the checklist has got to be so simple, you can give it to an intern, as you say, yeah. <laughs> and they can look at it and say, cool. And then they just go and do it. Because uh, as I said, this stuff is not, it's not rocket science. It it's, it's really is simple. And keep it simple and keep it consistent. And they're the two things I would say to people. You do that. You'll be fine.
0: And and would you say it sort of um, it takes the commitment of a, a fair amount of investment in, in time and and money or, or one or the other or both?
1: Yeah, 2019 going into 2020. Um, yeah, you, you're gonna have to put the effort in if you haven't already. Okay. Um, I know some people that can just put out something and they get thousands and thousands of engagements, but they put the time and money or the resources years ago, where it's actually a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Easier in its in the sense that there wasn't as many people. Uh, but harder because you didn't have the technology that you have available now. Yeah. The reality is a lot of these platforms now are pay-to-play. So if you're going to use Facebook, if you don't understand edge ranking, which is what gets you into the Facebook feed, um, there's a number of different factors. But to quickly let you know, it's a lot of it's to do with the amount of engagement around the content, type of content you post. So you're going to get more, you're likely to be in the news feed if you put a video rather than an event or, or a poll or something like that. Also, knowing that you've got about 19 hours to get the most of that out of that post. So these are just factors about uh, what's called Facebook edge ranking. So please Google that if you want to find out more. (laughs) And secondly, if you don't know how to do edge ranking, you need to understand advertising. And I would suggest if anybody's going to use Facebook or Instagram or any of the platforms really, maybe not LinkedIn just yet, you need to have an idea of how advertising works. Uh, because without it, it becomes a very difficult place unless you've got a huge community already.
0: Brilliant! Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Like, I, <laughs> so <nice. laughs> I've picked up so much. Bit a bit of a social media novice uh, <laughs> sure, com- sure. compared to a lot of people these days. I mean, one, one thing I would just like to ask um, before we wrap up: mm. um, Have you got any particularly funny comments from the Pop Idol chat room?
1: Oh, you Pop can Idol remember? chat room! Wow. Um, not from Pop Idol. 'Cause Popeye to what happened then, you're dealing with a lot and most of it is kids. Yeah. Like, cause again everyone's all oh, Gareth Gates and real young. <laughs> um, Liverpool was funny. Yeah. You're dealing with people from all over the world and passionate football fans <laughs> as well. And and I'm not a I'm an Arsenal fan. So eventually they worked at, cause I was a moderator in the room, so they found out I was an Arsenal fan and um uh, we had some interesting debates. <laughs> let's <laughs> leave it at that. But uh, yeah, it was mainly on on those two when it became like uh, it was mainly Liverpool, I should say. Where it was kind of interesting things that um, what happens in the chat room stays in the chat room. Let's say. Let's keep it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, thank you, thank you so much. I feel like I could uh, stay here picking your brain on social sure, media no for all night. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again.
1: Yeah, sure. Like I said, if you want to find that email information, feel free. I'll um, find me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Davis D A V I yes feel free to uh, leave it in the comments or wherever this is being hosted um, or reach me on twitter and I'm, I'm more than happy to help
0: perfect thanks cool. very much thanks Andrew. a lot cheers well i hope you're as hungry as i am for some hot venue news as next up, we have that good good venue talk with jake lewis and nathan marks
5: welcome back to a another venue talk i'm joined by jake lewis from venue expert team Hi Nathan, how you doing? Ah, it's been a while. Gruesome, twosome, back in full effect. The originals. Yeah. The OGs before all these fakers <laughs> took over, all these posers. No, everyone's doing a good job. To be fair, but it's been quite hard to get on the show. <laughs>
6: Please, can we come on, Joe? <laughs> I'll kick off with mine. So, Cam and Hooper have released their seventh venue uh, recently. It was last month, maybe. The Morton Society. Oh. It is in between Liverpool Street and Moorgate About 150 seated, 260 standing. They've done it again. It looks like an amazing venue. Great decor, just uh, re- you know, really good feel to it. Very sort of modern and sleek. And the the food and drinks are obviously. What is- the Scotch egg situation the what? The oh, Jacks. the Scot the the yeah. famous
5: Scotch egg. S E S as I call it. Scotch <laughs> egg situation <laughs> situation.
6: Uh, I imagine it's very very good. Uh, they've moved their booze lab um, over to Morton Society. So this is the top floor. Uh, hundred standing upstairs. The chief booze engineer they call him uh, Pat. Pat. Big Pat, Patty Hobbs. His name is Patrick Hobbs. He is um a, keenly interested in oh, yeah, in uh, infusing booze. Um, so they, I'm,
5: I'm interested in infusing it into my bloodstream,
6: <laughs> which you do very well. Um, oh, thank you. They, yeah, they're not they're not happy with you know your regular gins and your regular vodkas. So they make their own. They blend their own there on site. Um, uh, lots of herb infusions and spice infusions we have tested them out and, and can tell you that they are delicious yeah well. very good yeah. and and it works as well I
5: remember I think I had a Apple and
6: whiskey Yeah, beans, pretty nice. Yeah, I've had pretty some good. orange stuff there. and yeah. Um, But yeah, absolutely amazing. The downstairs then is uh, the main space. Um, uh, what's it called? Here we go. The Warbrook Room. Bit bit of a bigger space downstairs. They call it their tanner in the city, so it's that kind of vibe. Mm. I th- I spoke to Ben, one of the venue experts at Higher Space. He'd been recently on the showcase, came back in his absolutely raving about it thought it was absolutely amazing the decor and the uh the, the sort of uh, lights and everything they've got like these copper lights hanging down gold on the walls rustic sort of um, feel to it um looks really really good in terms of the costings i was speaking with sicily earlier from from the venue sounds really really reasonable for what it is um sort of in between the 10 and 15 mark for for an exclusive hire a couple of grand on the venue hire and then the rest on minimum spend um as we were saying earlier the food Drinks are really, really good at Cam and Hooper. They, they How always... many
5: Scotch eggs can you buy with £50,000? <laughs> well, I'm, sure, I'm sure they get that question quite a lot from no. me. They still haven't answered, so I ask them every week.
6: I'm <laughs> um, not very good at maths, to be honest. <laughs> Have you got a calculator? Um,
5: yeah, I, it's but, a calculator.
6: But I think they're looking for around £100 a head. Um, minimum numbers sort of 80 to 100 um, something ar- around that site but I'd say yeah go and check it out this is this is a, a brand new space for them um, it's the old site of Kitty Hawk if you've uh, visited there mm. um, and a little bit of history on it so it was the original home of the South Place Ethical Society which is the only remaining ethical society in the UK yep. from 1793 as I'm sure you'll recall Nafe.
5: 1793 yeah that's the one. Look, A
6: real jewel, they call it. Their unexpected jewel fab venue. So uh, recommend heading down whenever you can.
5: Okay, amazing. Jake, why don't you ask me what I've got this week?
6: Uh, no, I'm all right actually. Thanks. Ah, uh, uh, go on. What have you got? But ba- that
5: wasn't in the pre-approved banter list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, tell me about yours, Nathan. Um So this week, uh, very exciting. Not open yet. Um, opening on Friday, the 29th of November this mm. year. Uh, I've got the electric shuffle. Not a dance move. <laughs> that was on the pretty, pretty <laughs> list. A uh, new venue opening from a group who bought you a flight club, uh, which I know you've been to, Jake. Um, yeah, been very to. fun venue. Um, this one is opening up in the North Colonnade in Canary Wharf. Quite a large venue. Uh, fits up to 350 people for a private hire. but shared between uh, a few different spaces, but they can be all opened out, so it would feel like one space. Um, it's, uh, as the name will tell you, it is a shuffleboard club. So you go there, you play shuffle. I'm I'm a big fan of... All the sports where drinking is Drink, a yeah, yeah. yeah. The
6: main sport is the drinking and then the,
5: yeah. the sport on the side. It's is... like darts really. It's just yeah. like the game lasts so long. It's like who can keep up mm. that sort of level. All those big lads. So opening up at the end of the next month. Um as I mentioned before, it's team behind Flight Club, so do expect a lot of the same thing in terms of competitive sports, which have just been taken to a whole new level uh with the interactive element with um just a huge amount of investment in and thought going into the, the tech they put in there just to bring these bar games, which are fun anyway, to the next level. And make them just way more accessible mm. to the uh, the average person who's not you know um, too familiar with them. Um, so everybody can have fun playing them, um, and you know also expect to have you know lovely cocktails, beer, fresh baked pizza mm. at the venue as well, and the same sort of level of service that uh, you come to expect from the from from the group from the team that bought your flight club. Two um, two private event spaces here um, outside, of, so you can uh, hire. Uh, smaller event spaces, as well as taking up a whole venue for 350. We have got the Jemison Room uh, with capacity for 50 and the Babadorf, uh with capacity for 100, nice. um, named after, as, as you're no doubt aware, Jake, uh, two female scientists. So um, we've got Mae Jemison, the first black woman in space, serving as a mission specialist aboard the Space Shuttle Endeavour in 1992. How long was she in space for, Jake? not really sure. Not sure. Uh, 190 hours, 30 minutes and 23 seconds. All right, well done. Nice, very good. And then Kate Biberdorf, Dr. Kate Bieberdorf. I, I looked actually up for her, but it's just said on her website she blows stuff up. Um, so that's what I've got on that. <laughs> didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the electric shuffle, so coming to you next month, uh, end of next month, uh, and ready to take bookings and inquiries now. Fantastic. Well, um... <clears throat> Yeah, we didn't really plan an ending either. <laughs> uh, 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 then you talk. Um, so thanks very much for joining me, Jake. Uh, lovely to hear from you. And yeah, well, you Great. Was I finished talking last time? Sorry. Fantastic.
0: one more time if you haven't registered for event lab 2019 you can find a link in the show notes below if you haven't got your ticket now is definitely the time you can follow all that we do on twitter and instagram using the handle event underscore online if you'd like to get in contact with the show you can email us at eventlab at thank you very much for listening